It's time for Bring It Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Thielen Meats, Oars and Mine Marine in Crosby, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, Liveax Marine in Isle, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Bring It Outdoors, Brian Moon. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and we always love to talk to Brian and Bro Brosdahl, get his uh, insight on things. And something I wanted to talk to you about, Bro, because you were quoted in, in an article I was reading at anglingbuzz.com, and I, I encourage people to check it out. Uh, they talked about the top eight walleye lakes in the state of Minnesota, and these are in no particular order, so we're not ranking them from one to eight. These are just you know eight lakes that they picked. And I wanted to pick your brain on each one of these, and we'll just sure. spend, spend a a little bit of time on each one, and I know you fish every one of these lakes. So that's why I wanted to ask you. We'll start on Leech. Which what makes that special? Leech Lake has fertile, shallow uh, water uh, that warms fast. It has a deep, cold, clear, like super deep water, like in Walker Bay and Cavacona Bay. And then in the center, uh, it's all usable. the The main lake averages about fifteen feet with some holes that go to thirty five. Um, there's, there's, it's such a dynamic lake with vegetation. So there's, uh, weed walleyes and there's tons of rock walleyes. There's, there's, uh, massive schools of walleyes that, uh, just stay to an area. You could pick a part of the lake and just go there. Obviously, um, you want to pick the shallow stuff first and then work your way back. But, uh, it's a great, it's a great lake because you could find the bite no matter the week going into the summer and into as the summer progresses, uh, it's it's a very easy lake to pattern. Lake of the Woods is obviously an extremely large body of water, so that makes that tricky. But I, I tell you what, I mean, that's the lake. It seems like whenever you talk to people, even in the wintertime, when you want to go get walleyes, uh, Lake of the Woods is probably one of the best bets you can take. Well, and also it gets it gets massive attention in the wintertime and uh, in the spring on Rainy River. But it doesn't get the huge attention right now, and it is—it's as easy as it gets. A jig and a minnow. Uh, if you, if you can't get emeralds, a jig and a uh, rainbow, a jig and a fathead. Those walleyes just eat. Throw down the anchor or drift with a jig, uh, and you don't have to go way out the middle of nowhere. You're just going on the edge of uh, Pine Island or or any of the points like Rocky Point or anywhere you could access. Get out to the break line that meets the main basin and uh, you'll catch fish from war road to rocky point down to budette you just get out to the edge edge of the island and uh those fish aren't always in the 20s sometimes they're up in 14 and uh i always like to try the shallow fish first because they tend to be bigger and you'll catch a few trophies up there when they're active you can't beat it it's it's uh like a canadian experience right there in minnesota and then it's a lot of fun uh to to get out there and catch fish jigging and and it's not a a rip jigging it's a slow methodical lift and fall and let them take it the water's a little darker it's got bog stain uh gold jigs uh pink jigs uh but also i did really well on watermelon rz jigs that's probably was the best one on the the big walleye giveaway i did up there so it's a lake if you can go a blast it's a lot of fun staying with uh the northern part of the state upper red is always bro one of the destination lakes the first couple of weeks of the season maybe even the first month of the spring walleye season why is that 
A red lake heats fast, especially near Washkish, because it's shallow. And the, the walleyes that spawn in the Tamarack River are hanging around at the mouth. And, and they don't all spawn on the river. It's just a small percentage, but that percentage is, is huge. And, uh, you know, just, just remember, you don't have to go very far from there. Three or four feet of water is where the fish are at because the water's so dark. And that is a slip dragon dream. Put together a slip bobber and a jig and just drag it. And when, once you find a school of fish, stop. You know, and I use a talon. When it's calm you just or not super rough, you could just press the button and the spike goes in the water and holds you there. Or you just throw the anchor over the side, and uh, the fish just keep coming through. And there's a lot of fish in that three and a half to four feet of water. It's just amazing how shallow they are. One lake that's close to home for you and you spend a lot of time on is Winnie. What do you like about that lake? Winnie is super healthy right now. Uh, Winnie is uh, loaded with uh, keeper-sized fish. It's phenomenal right now for walleyes and was my best lake all winter. I, I never had to go anywhere else. Uh, I love Leech. I love uh, uh, all the other lakes in the area. But Winnie is loaded with fish. And it seems like the best-kept secret lately because with, outside of July and August when the tourism season's at the top, Winnie is pretty slow right now for boats. And if you want to get away from the crowds, go to Winnie and get on. And there, you don't have to fish by the boats. There's so many spots there that have fish. It's amazing. One thing about Winnie I've always noticed, Matt Brewer and I always joke about this. Nobody talks over there. You never hear anything oh. off of Winnie. No, well, <laughs> that's that's the one thing is uh, it, it does get some of the same local pressure, but uh, well, it's the same uh, anywhere up the Highway 2 corridor. You're not going to get them to spill the beans too much, but <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really dynamic fishery, and uh, it fishes the same as all of our lakes in the area from uh, – Detroit Lakes to uh, Bemidji to, you know, Gull Lake and Brainerd, it all fishes basically the same, jigging a minnow or a rig, and uh, it's that simple. But just remember, the water quality is amazing. It's getting clearer and clearer, so it's kind of a malax situation where you need to maybe get a little farther away from the boat. And uh, rigs are, are really good, especially when the water gets up in the 60s, but right now you can do well on jigs. Vermilion is one of my favorite lakes. I, I opened up there last year. It's just, first of all, it's pristine. It's it's beautiful scenery and everything. But also, you can really uh, clean up on fish there too, right, bro? Oh gosh, Vermilion is like fishing in a postcard. <laughs> it's uh, it's beautiful rocky outcroppings and pine trees and islands. And pay attention to the buoys because they are marking something that wants to bite you. Uh, but there's walleyes. Seems like on every reef and and every steep ledge off an island and. It's a bottom bouncer's dream. You could jig. You're, you're jigging right on the brakes, and uh, you just keep moving. You'll, you'll get pods of fish stacked in different areas. I love fishing there. When I go there, I'm more of a tourist than a guide. Um, there's plenty of guides over there, and I guide my area. But when I go there, it's just a blast of fish. And uh, there's everything in that lake. Uh, there's a lot of people chasing the giant muskies out there, and, and uh, there's smallies. There's a little bit of everything. Smallmouth bass are a fun surprise. You know when you're out chasing walleyes and they're biting, you're going to get walleyes, but it's nice to get something that jumps and fights like crazy once in a while. And uh, that lake's loaded with smallies. It always has been. And uh, But the walleyes, you never know. You get a 10-pounder out there. It's It's got trophy-sized fish, but it's got good numbers of eaters. 
and the, and the walleye population is a lot higher than it has been in the past. Two more lakes we want to touch on here on our top eight uh, walleye lakes here in the state of Minnesota, according to anglingbuzz.com. Uh, these are not ranked uh, by any means. We're just you know throwing out the eight of them there. And uh, two that we really don't talk about much on the show, and that's my fault. Um, we, we really need to start talking maybe a little bit more about them. One of them, bro, is Rainy Lake. Uh, you spent oh, a little time yeah. up there. What, what do you like about that lake? Rainy Lake is is uh, just an awesome lake, just loaded with fish. It's so loaded, uh, you can catch walleyes anywhere. You, in the middle of summer and on an 80-degree day, you catch walleyes in the weeds in the back bays fishing for bass. Uh, but Rainy Lake has reefs, and they're all full of fish every single day. <laughs> and bring lots of leeches. You're going to go through all of them. They love leeches up there. And But when I'm fishing uh, bass tournaments up there, we catch tons of walleyes, pitching uh, plastics like impulse paddle tails and flukes on a on a jig head like an rz jig head so we've caught tons of walleyes and eater size fish on artificials and uh but if you really want to get on them a uh leech and a bottom bouncer uh and just drag it slow like a rock runner bottom bouncer from northland it's a shorter bottom bouncer just tap tap the rocks and keep it moving don't need a long leader three or four feet and a little bead in front of your hook and then go and billy crawlers but by far the leeches are hot up there, and expect a lot of fish. You can wear your arms out. So we ran through seven, Rainy Lake, Leech, Lake of the Woods, Mille Lacs, Upper Red, Winnie, Vermilion. One last one is west of town here that we don't talk a lot about, uh, and that's Otter Tail, bro. Do you know, have you spent a little time on that lake? Absolutely. I've done tournaments there and uh, done well. Uh, the, the lake, <laughs> it's one of those lakes that, I live in northern Minnesota, but I'd love to have a cabin near Otter Tail. Otter Tail has so many walleyes in it, it's unbelievable. Every time I've been there, I just can't believe they're they're everywhere, and there's big ones. But most, you know, the big size in there is that uh, 23 to 24-inch range, but there's so many uh, keeper-sized fish, it just it blows my mind. Uh, and it's not a super busy lake. I mean, there's a few boats around it, but... Um, it's one of those lakes that I'm glad I had a chance to fish, and uh, I will be fishing there this summer because every time I've been there, I've caught tons of walleyes, and it fishes like a, a book. It has it's been mapped. Um, there's rocks, there's weeds, there's reefs, and uh, I've done well really shallow. It, there are times of the year that they go a little deeper off the edges, but uh, get up in the shallows, and you could pitch, you could slip bobber fish. Uh, that's about the best, and also rig. And it fishes just like fishing out on gull or, or leech. Uh, and I think it's gets less crowds. During tournament times, they have a few tournaments out there. It gets busy. But uh, all the tournament people that do fish it all say the same. They love that lake. It's a blast. So if you want to check out the top eight uh, walleye lakes, according to anglingbuzz.com here in Minnesota, you can head to our website, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. There's more information and and uh, some other tidbits for you to check out. But uh, we appreciate Brian Bro Brosdahl and his insight on that. Uh, bro, if people want more information on you or maybe want to book a guide trip and go fishing with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, just uh, check me out at brosguideservice.com. Or you can look me up on Facebook or Twitter. So there you go. Bro, I appreciate it. I know you're really busy hey. this time of year, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And, oh, uh, no problem. Thanks, and we'll see everybody on the water. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3.
Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. In a conversation we had uh, here not too long ago with Ray Gildow at the Nisswa Guides League, we asked him about uh, what is the future of live bait going forward here in the state of Minnesota. And uh, Ray had some pretty interesting uh, insights on this. Yeah, I started doing some research on this last fall. I, I actually, uh, it was actually stimulated by the radio show that we did. Uh, some of the Brainerd area, uh, I call them harvesters, because that's the kind of the technical name that the DNR uses for people who are going out and harvesting minnows. Uh, they were telling me that the, the rules that are being instituted are making it so difficult for them to stay in business. And I didn't want to just get one point of view on this, so I started doing some research last fall. I'm sure some of these guys were thinking, well, how much research do you have to do? But uh, I kind of waited until this, this spring to, to publish this. And basically what I sort of discovered was that uh, the number of, of minnow harvesters in Minnesota, is a, it's a constantly changing figure. Uh, from 500 to 800 people are harvesting minnows, and they're doing it in a variety of ways. Some guys just go out and, and run traps in rivers and lakes. Uh, you know, you get spotted shiners in the early spring out of the Lake Winnie. You used to be able to do that easily. And then a lot of guys go into the rivers, and they'll get the creek chubs and the, and the red tails. And uh, then there are people who raise their own in rearing ponds. And all of these folks are being impacted by AIS, the Aquatic Invasive Species um, legislation, first of all, I should say. And then the DNR sort of interprets that legislation and puts rules together for it. And uh, it is now to the point where if a lake is infected with um, zebra mussels, specifically zebra mussels, those guys can only go in and get uh, bait out of those at a certain time of the year. And then after a certain time, they can't go in and get any minnows out of those spots anymore because of the concern of transporting this VHS, this very deadly, deadly virus that was common, but they found in Wisconsin. And so they're really trying to be careful not to have that spread here. So the uh, the bottom line has been that there are new rules in place for people who are going out to get minnows. And just let me give you an example of one. Uh, Doyle Federer is a minnow harvester in Glenwood, and he raises his own minnows in addition to trapping them in rivers and lakes. And he now has to have all minnows that come out of his ponds inspected. So he has to pay a DNR uh, officer or a veterinarian $300 to come out and get samples out of his lake. That sample, I should say pond, these are ponds, that sample has to be sent to the University of Minnesota and it costs him another 295 or $300 to verify that he has clean minnows in these ponds. So he figures in the areas where he's raising minnows, it's costing him an additional $5,000 a year to follow the new rules uh, to be able to sell these particular baits. And uh, if you're trapping in some areas where there is uh, AIS involved, and it's not zebra mussels, but it could be milfoil, it could be spiny water fees, it could be a number of other things, they have to have bait equipment, nets and whatever, separate for those waters as opposed to the waters that are not infected. So the bottom line is it's costing these people a lot of money, and we're losing a lot of the harvesters or the trappers because they don't think it's worth the time and investment, and they think it's costing them too much, and it's getting harder to make a profit off what they're doing. Red-tailed chubs were fourteen ninety-nine a dozen. And the point of my article is, is that 
I don't think that's going to end I'm using minnows for live bait, but it's going to drive the cost up significantly, and it's actually driving the cost up significantly faster than I think we thought. Now, the, the DNR's point of view is that minnow harvesting is one of the highest risk activities for spreading AIS because objects left in the water and taken to another water the same day uh, is where these, um, you know, the villagers from the uh, zebra mussels or that AIS is transmitted. Zebra mussels were spread in Europe on com commercial fishing gear that was left in the water. And bait harvesting at one time was actually banned in all of our waters. And the DNR has backed off that a little bit now, allowing harvested uh, harvesting in affected waters with separate gear during low-risk times of training, uh, or during low-risk of times, I should say. So when they know there aren't little villagers, for example, being spread by the zebra mussels, that's when they'll allow people to go in traps, uh, spotted uh, shiners, for example. I think it's like May 15th. After May 15th, then they can't go in there. Of course, you get a year like this where up until May 15th, everything is frozen. Those guys just didn't have an opportunity to go even go into those lakes and make money off that. So there's been a real fracture between bait harvesters and the DNR, and it's just, I, from my perspective, it's just almost a natural thing because, you know, everyone's trying to, the, the, the harvesters aren't trying to deliberately uh, infest waters. There's, that would kill them. It would kill their business. So they're trying to be as careful as they can, but they feel that the, the rules are getting too rigid and too difficult to obey. And on the other side of the ledger is we're seeing the DNR saying more and more of our waters are being infested on a regular basis, and that we just got to do what we can do to stop this from happening. The, so the bottom line, I think, for all of us is we're going to see fewer baits, uh, fewer minnows available at certain times of the year, and we're going to see the cost continue to rise. You know, and, and we talked with Sherry during uh, Fishing Opener Weekend up at S&W Bait, and she kind of put it into perspective for me, and, and she mentioned the same thing in your article as to how many of these bait trappers that she's lost in the past year or so. She figures she's lost 50% of her uh, harvesters in the Brainerd Lakes area in the past two years. And then some of the guys, like Don Petermeyer is one of the guys I interviewed down in the Melrose area, and he's been doing all of the guys that I interviewed, and they were all guys, uh, we have been in this business for 30 years, and he was going to pass this on to his grandson, his 16-year-old grandson, because he's got all the equipment, the traps and everything, and he's telling his grandson he just doesn't think it's going to be a viable business for him to do that. So that's a sad thing to see. And again, you know, that's not the DNR's fault. It's just the process of trying to stop this stuff from spreading around the country. You know, you're seeing more cleaning stations set up at uh, sites, um, I'm not going to say his name, but I have a very good friend who is a, a friend who is a very good outdoor photographer, and he has a close-up of a mallard flying, and we can't tell, he can't tell from the picture if this is a zebra mussel in its beak or just a regular mussel, but there's certainly evidence that it's not just people transporting some of these things from lake to lake. So. It's it's just a real huge challenge for the DNR to try to get a, a control of this. One of the things that you mentioned towards the end of your article, Ray, and, and another thing that was mentioned throughout the article, and you mentioned, uh, so is this the end of using minnows and bait for Minnesota? For now, the answer is no. But one of the things in your article that kept standing out to me was the fact that this, this 20 years from now, quote-unquote, was used a few times. Uh, do you see 
things 20 years from now being, is that it? Or do you think maybe we got a little bit more time than that? Well, you know, the tr- some of these harvesters were at a uh, DNR-sponsored conference, and I think some comments were made not by DNR people but by uh, subcontractors who were working for them that they don't see these guys being in the harvesting business 20 years from now. <clears throat> but I talked with Jay Rendell, who last year was in charge of all of this at the state level, and he said there has never been uh, any feeling from the DNR at the top level to put these people out of business uh, that's a very integral part of, of fishing in, in Minnesota is having bait dealers and bait harvesters. Uh, but I think some comments were made, and so I think some of these folks are thinking that was a long-term strategy to put them out of business. But I, I really don't believe that is the long-term strategy of the DNR. It's just that you know when you get people putting new rules in place and more and more people are saying to heck with it, I think that's just kind of the, the feeling that's developed a little bit, which is unfortunate. Not to be all doom and gloom with this, I mean, continuing to buy live bait, that's the best thing you can do for the for these bait harvesters and everything. And, and most anglers you talk to, that's the best way to go. Yep, absolutely. The thing that we can do the best is if we can afford it, you know, I don't know how many of us can afford to keep buying minnows if they're $15 a dozen. But if we can buy live bait, and live bait is still some of the best ways, especially for walleye fishing, that's the, absolutely the best year-round. Not that we can't get them on other things, because the one thing that's uh, developing from this process is we're seeing more and more new techniques of catching walleyes with artificial baits. And that's something that's emerging, but there are sometimes, I think, everybody who fishes a lot will tell you, there's just a lot of times where an artificial bait will not catch a walleye. But there is a, there's new technology developing all the time uh, to start using uh, artificial bait for more and more fish. Um, and, uh, you know, my hope is we can still keep our local guys in business, our local gals in business who would do the bait businesses, and uh, they need our support now probably more than ever. One last thing, Ray, before we cut you loose here. How is this, is this going to affect leeches at all and trapping there too, or is this strictly a minnow thing? This is strictly a minnow thing as long as people change water. You know, if they bring leeches to a lake, they have to have a fresh water container in their truck to bring those back and put them in there. You can't take the lake water and put it on your leeches and then bring that back and stick it in your truck and take it somewhere else. You need to change the water just like you do with minnows. Uh, but I I don't see it impacting leeches um, nearly as much as it will on the minnows, uh, although leeches are getting more expensive, too. That's, Everything is getting more expensive. Right. Well, some great stuff from Ray Gildow this week. Of course, Ray, uh, accomplished angler with the Nisswa Guides League, an accomplished author, writer, uh, personality here in the Brainerd area, and a very good friend of Brainerd Outdoors. Uh, Ray, we can't thank you enough for, for this this week. Uh, I, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this here a lot in the coming I years. Think we will. Yeah, it's not it's not going to go away, and it's going to continually evolve, and it's just hard to say how. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on it. Ray, I appreciate it. Talk to you next week, okay? All right. Thank you, Brian. More Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd. 
Standard Outdoors on B93.3. I'm Brian Moon. Of course, uh, Mille Lacs, a very hot-button issue across uh, the entire state of Minnesota and right here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes. And uh, a lot of discussion about things going on out there. One of the big things that's being discussed is what are some of these fish eating? What are the diets? And, and, and everybody's got their opinions and kind of drawn some conclusions on this. And I thought we'd bring in uh, Brad Parsons. Brad is the uh, Central Region Fisheries Manager with the Minnesota DNR to uh, kind of shed a little bit of light on this. And Brad, I guess to, to open up, first of all, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, absolutely, Brian. Glad to do it. One thing we want to state with this is this is a very small sampling of some work that's being done here and more than a year into it by some of the Minnesota biologists. So, you know, this isn't something that's that's written in stone or, or this is the big picture. It's a very small sample. But I thought it would be pertinent to actually share some of that information because, uh, you know, I'm sure people are looking for some answers. Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, diet information with with fish is it's really interesting stuff. I back when I was in the research unit, I, I did some diet analyses and those kinds of things, and it's it's really interesting. You know, something people people can uh, can grasp onto and and really understand. But uh, but you're right. I mean, diets differ from year to year based on what the forage base is. You know, if you have a good year class of perch or or in a lake like Mille Lacs, Tulabi, they might be focusing on those and um, then we, we take the diet data and use something called bioenergetics, which basically uh, it's energy in, energy out. So if you know what a fish is eating and you know how much they grow, you do all these other things, and then you can kind of figure out how much of certain things they're eating. So it's, it's some pretty interesting science, but it's based on, on not only the diet, but the temperatures that the fish are in and various other aspects of their um, energy out, like how much are they swimming around and those kinds of things. So it's some pretty neat science. Yeah, and we're going to actually break down some of the species. We'll talk about walleye, northern pike, smallmouth bass, and what they're eating out there based on what you guys have found so far. Um, One question I wanted to pose to you, Brad, how hard is it to really get a reading on a lake that size? That's got to be quite the undertaking for you guys to, to really kind of figure out what exactly is going on out there, especially when there's so many theories. Yeah, well, it really is, and and that's the thing with the the diet data and the bioenergetics data. It it tends to be with a lake that size to try and extrapolate from our fish to the lake as a whole is very difficult. But what bioenergetics really can help us do is look at the uh, the the kind of the relative importance of say different predators on the prey base and on the the smaller fish that are out there. So, yeah, trying to extrapolate and say, well, there were, you know, X million pounds of this eaten in a course of a year, that, you know, when you get to a 100,000-acre lake, that that gets a little bit tricky. So it's kind of that more the relative uh, combinations that go on. Would you agree the fundamental problem with Mille Lacs walleyes, young walleyes not surviving into adulthood? Uh, yeah, that's that has been the issue. We've had we've had very good reproduction, uh, really since 2010. Uh, the fish have been there in the fall, both in 2010, 11, 12, and 13. But the 10s, 11, and 12s just didn't make it through. And certainly, one possibility is they're getting eaten. Uh, another possibility is that uh, you know, just if if you're a small fish and you're not getting enough to eat, uh, you become more stressed, and you know, fish feel stressed like the rest of us do, but in a little bit of a different way. So, uh, yeah, they just haven't been surviving. Now, the the good news so far is it looks like the 2013 year class did uh, survive much better over the winter. We had reports uh, through the winter, anglers seeing them on their cameras. Uh, when we were doing our population estimates this spring, we were seeing some of them in the nets. Um, 
and uh, and there's been some electrofishing uh, that's not quite done yet, but it's very promising. They seem to have made it through the first winter, and probably the reason was the the fish last fall were longer and they were in very good condition, and so they went into the the winter with lots of them and they were healthy and looks like they came through that first. Um, first winter gauntlet, I guess, would be the way to put it. Sure. Well, let's uh, break down the, the, the actual diet analysis yeah. that you guys got, uh, starting with the walleyes. Uh, as you said, the, the 2013 uh, walleye class is looking to be a pretty good crop, and you guys got some, some pretty interesting information on that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the real key, uh, the, the overarching theme with walleye is that yellow perch are the heart of their diet. They really are, and this goes across uh, all the length groups from from the small fish all the way up to the to the big fish. I mean, it, when you're talking in the middle of the summer, say July, August into September, when um, you're getting that that first uh, young of the year year class of perch coming through, walleyes are really really keying in on those at, with the vast majority of their data or their diet. I mean, and then um, if you look earlier in the year before that hatch comes off, the diets are a lot more variable. Uh, there's uh, lots of other fish that are in there, things like shiners and darters and bullheads and things like that. But when you get that, that perch year class starts coming on, that's what they key on. And a lot of the big talk has been cannibalism with walleyes, too. What did you find out there? They, it happens. I mean, it happens in, in every walleye system, no question about it. If you think of what a, what a small walleye looks like, it looks a lot like a perch. And so they're um, looking at for diets. But um, the kind of the interesting thing was that really from fish 13 inches and then all the way on up, the proportions of, of walleye in those diets were pretty similar. And, you know, you get into the fall and it can be up to 15, 20 percent of the diet, uh, at least the observed diet that we saw. And uh, then the important thing is how many of those various size groups do you have? Is it the smaller? Generally, you have more smaller fish, and if the proportions are the same, maybe it's those smaller fish that have a would have more of a, a long-term uh, effect than than the bigger fish. Is there any more talk? I mean, do you, do you get a lot of questions from anglers saying, why don't we just get rid of more of the bigger walleye and we wouldn't have this problem? And, and once again, what we want to stress is this is a very small sampling yeah. of things. Yeah. But, I mean, is that one of the big uh, complaints you get from anglers? It, at times, yeah, that, that's certainly one of them. Um, but obviously with the important thing that we need to do is, is keep the, the spawning stock biomass out there so we do keep getting these good uh, good hatches going on out there. So, And, you know, obviously we have... Uh, rules that we have to follow as far as harvest quotas and if you start harvesting a lot of bigger fish those things add up in a hurry and and really takes away the opportunity to to harvest more smaller fish so it's um you know it it is a bit of a a conundrum we want to provide as much opportunity for people as possible but if you start cropping off larger fish those poundages add up, really add up in a hurry. Let's move on to Northern Pike. Uh, obviously, you guys changed uh, the regulations and expanded them a little bit. Uh, you can keep more uh, pike out there. What did you find out in uh, your assessment with those? Yeah, well, you know, the real interesting thing with pike was the, the real difference in the diets between fish under 25 inches and those over 25 inches. The ones over 25 inches, with the exception of the middle of summer when they were keying in on perch, were really eating an awful lot of tulipy. Um And that's you know, we've we've known that for a long time. Big pike like those big, uh, bigger forage items. Nice tulipy have a lot of calories to them. They're a very good, uh, very good forage. So they they really key on in on those. Really over half their diet in most most months of the year. 
Uh, smaller northern pike, on the other hand, are really focusing in on perch as well. Uh, then into the fall, they do. They did start eating uh, quite a quite a fair number of of small walleye in uh, September, in the October, and even in the overwinter. It's kind of interesting doing diets over the winter. Um, that's again, you know, fish are cold blooded, so you know, a proportion of a diet in the winter, they're going to eat less total than they would over the during the warmer months. Even though we all know that pike like cooler water, but they, you know, if you're, the difference between 35 and 65 is a is a big difference in their metabolism. So they eat a lot more in those warm water months. But it was very interesting that the large northern pike had a very very small proportion of their diet was was uh, young walleye. And I guess the the important thing with northern pike, you know, we expanded the the bag limits just to encourage people to keep more small pike and just to provide more of an opportunity. And we're going to extend the northern pike fishing season uh, into March. Again, it's to provide opportunity. We really don't think that people are going to harvest them down, but we want to encourage people to, to keep them. Small northern pike are really good to eat. Once you figure out how to clean them, and there's videos on YouTube and all kinds of ways to tell people how to clean pike. But it's uh, it's really more about providing the opportunity encouraging people to visit Mille Lacs. And this last uh, species that we're going to break down, uh, Brad, is the one that really surprised me the most, and that's the smallmouth bass. And that's been kind of a polarizing topic, too. You know, a lot of the bass anglers don't like the fact that you can take a lot more bass out of Mille Lacs now. Some of the other anglers out there right now are saying take as many, you know, as you can. Yeah. Um, and it looked, and once again, a very small sampling but it looks like the proportion of walleye that they eat is very, very small, according to this study. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly seems that way. Uh, particularly, the we didn't get a lot of small, smallmouth bass, you know, under 12 inches, but, but the ones that do, they're eating a variety of, of small fishes. The larger fish, really, for, throughout the summertime, their diet is dominated by crayfish. You know, anybody who's fished smallmouth knows sometimes when you get them up to the side of the boat, they might... Uh, spit something up and it's almost always a crayfish. <laughs> you get into you get into September uh, and they do start incorporating more fish in the diets, but we saw really really a low proportion of of walleye in their diets. And if you look at the relative number of fish out in Lake, our you know our population estimates are just kind of that they're estimates. But the proportion of smallmouth is much lower than the numbers of um, northern pike that are out there and way lower than the number of walleyes that are out there. So, yeah, it really does seem that, um, well, again, anybody who likes to throw a jig and pig knows that uh, smallmouth bass like crayfish. Now, all, all these regulations are subject to uh, to review every year. Um, Mille Lacs is, is somewhat unique that way. It's not like some of our other lakes where we have a, a much longer and uh, complex process for changing regulations. And one last thing, uh, in reading this, uh, it looks like, you know, tulipy and yellow perch uh, are obviously the, the, the big meal of choice by most of these species out there. How are their populations right now, Brad? Are they, they going to be able to, to, to have some pretty decent numbers as well? Well, that's, it, it looks good. I mean, last year was a very good year class for those two important forage species, and that's uh, something that showed up really, really well in uh, what we call our the condition factor. If you know people were out there, and particularly with the larger walleyes, condition factors the last couple of years have been pretty poor. Um, you know that's where you get a fish with a bigger head and they feel pretty skinny. But last year was an excellent year class of tulipy and uh, yellow perch, and those condition factors shot right back up to normal. And I mentioned those smaller fish; it actually got quite a ways above normal for those uh, 
for those age zero fish that were going into their first winter. And that's what that's why it's going to be kind of interesting as we look at uh, the diet data from this spring and moving forward is early last year there wasn't a good forage base out there until these young of the year perch and tulipy came on. Now uh, certainly a bunch of them have made it through the winter as well. And that's uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how the diets may change a little bit this year. But sure, the key the key to any fishery is that forage base. And last year was a really good year, and so far it looks like they're hanging in there. Well, it's good to see. I mean, progress is being made, and, and once again, we do want to stress it's a very small sample of things. But, sure. uh, you know, this is yeah. something that, uh, you know, obviously it, it's good news, and we want to get it out there, Brad. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, and, you know, we certainly, the like I said, the fishing out there, uh, can still be excellent, and uh, we really do encourage people to visit the area. That's why we, you know, tried some things with the different seasons, particularly for the northern pike. Uh, just trying to provide that opportunity and remind people that, you know, fishing is is really good on Mille Lacs, and we want people to visit the area. Yeah, my problem is I, you know, I mark them everywhere. I just can't get them to bite. So I. I... <laughs> Well, that's part of that forage thing. You know, we, we talked about forage. That, that's always a little bit of a double-edged sword uh, for people because, you know, you want good forage so you grow fish. But if they got a lot to eat, they're less likely maybe to to decide that the years might be the way to go. Yeah. And uh, so it's, um, yeah, <laughs> that forage thing is always a conundrum for me, too. And <laughs> if you look at catch rates, most folks know it's a lot harder to catch fish in July and August than it can be in May and June. And a lot of that is because you get that young of the year uh, perch class coming through, and there's a lot of food out there. Yeah, so there you go. Some very good information from Brad Parsons. Brad is the uh, Central Region Fisheries Manager with the Minnesota DNR. Uh, Brad, we thank you for the, the info. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, I'm sure hopefully we'll talk to you here in the future and some more good news. Well, happy to do it, Brian, and yeah, feel free to contact us anytime. If you want to follow along on the progress of Mille Lacs, uh, there is a bunch of great literature and videos and some bios of some things uh, available at the DNR's website. And one easy place to find that, just go to BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com and click on the DNR link. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3.